Yes, indeedy. And we're back. We're back. From where? From holidays. From holidays. Where'd we go? <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, off the interwebs. Off the interwebs. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You didn't go off the interwebs. To some extent. For a day. That's, okay. not, that's not being off the interwebs. A day-long break, though. <laughs> Who else out there can boast that? A day without the internet. A whole day. I mean the whole day. 24 hours. Probably a lot of people. Really? People don't follow the internet. Oh. In general. <laughs> Who's that, though? Come a on. A lot of people. Well, it depends what you mean by looking at the internet, you know. <clears throat> depends what you're looking at. Are you looking at lolcats? Or, or are, you, are you watching videos and stuff? Are you playing video games? Is that being on the internet? Depends what you mean by being on the internet. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? If you're talking about, you know, shoving your face into the <laughs> increasingly putrid... Insane... Cesspool of disinformation, lies, manipulation, and nonsense. Then. Oh, you mean the news? Yeah. Then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that, we, that's, we took a break useful. of source. We did some ancient history research. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But that's an you know a good exercise to get out of the cesspit, as you call it. It is. Yeah, you can and just uh, forget about the present and and go and live in the past. Except what we were looking for in the past was <laughs> some <laughs> the, stuff. The cesspit at the fall of civilization last time around. So yeah. And to t- try and draw some parallels, yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's a, it's a, it's it's less in your face, definitely. You know, it's definitely it's it's two thousand years ago or whatever, fifteen hundred, whatever, two thousand years ago. So um, officially, it's two thousand years. It, we think it's less. It doesn't feel as as as, as prescient. It's not, you're not really dealing with the no no and personal stuff. Uh, yeah, and so here we are back with a bang. Uh, that's boom. a horrible thing to say. For the I children. suppose. Um, uh, we've actually got, already got in, uh, Zoya says in the chat room, I look forward to the show as well. There are certainly things to discuss about Russia, especially Dugan's daughter's death and attacks on Crimea. And then she says, some people are wondering where Medvedev's promised Judgment Day is. Wow. You know, Judgment Day is a result of, uh, of, of sinning. You know, it's, it's traditionally been brought on by serious sinning. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Just how much... Sinning against it is, or, or, or against them, or the Russians willing to take before they decide that that's a cardinal sin and must be punished. But anyway, yeah. So, do you want to start with that then? Yeah, yeah, we have to. We yes. have to. It's breaking news from last night. Um, the daughter of Alexander Dugin was killed in a car bomb in on a major street in Moscow. Um, she was alone in the car. Apparently, her father, they were both at the same event. He was speaking at the event. Um, and they left together, but in separate cars. It was his vehicle, though. Hers. Apparently. Was it her own vehicle? Mm-hmm. Apparently. I don't know. But no, we're not sure. We're not sure. I've heard different things. One where they, it was actually his, but she was driving it back. Right. And he went in a separate car, or right. to a separate, onto a separate place. Yep. Um, Those she, details aren't available. Specific details, I suppose, aren't aren't completely. Yeah, the, we, the actual we don't know yet. Don't know sure. yet. So you know, what was she the only target? Were they both targeted? Um, it's hard to tell. Uh, in any event, it's just it's extremely cruel because you know. She's she's an innocent in this, and I mean, if they'd had hit her father, so is he, because despite two decades of horseshit about Alexander Dugan, 
in Western media, he is not a Russian government official. He never has been a Russian government official. Inevitably, as an intellectual in Russia, he's going to come into contact with people who are actually in positions of power. He's, uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a professor. I, think he, I believe he still is teaching at one of the Moscow universities. Well, he, he, he lost his job at Moscow University in, uh, what year, I'm not sure, about maybe about 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was basically fired for, well, it was less than 10 years ago. It was about the Donbass situation, so it was in the last, within the last eight, eight years. Um, he was removed from his position at Moscow University because he was assumed or his, what he said was interpreted to be inciting uh, genocide against Ukrainians. Really, uh, <coughs> kill, kill, kill. I think where was words that were. Uh, uh, I've uh, seen that clip floating around. It's seven seconds long. Obviously, it's in missing context, right? Uh, Which yeah. is what the media loves to do today. Is mm-hmm. or any, you know, not just that, but everybody apparently loves to, including the, the mainstream media, loves to put things, uh, you know, leave things without context or take things out of context. But yeah, apparently he lost his job because of. What he said obviously was more than just three words or something, but it was uh, statements he had made that was seen as being were seen as being um, you know a bit beyond the pale in terms of his you know mm-hmm. inciting people to yeah. do something about those evil Ukrainians, uh, which is interesting because that uh, means that in Russia officially yeah. at the level of whatever universities, of course, but it would have been a bad then thing. it was too much for them. Exactly, it would have been a bad thing. Well, it would have been a bad thing for them this for for Rus- Russians to say at any any point. In that, in those terms, you know, mm-hmm. because Russians and Ukrainians have for a long time seen them, seen each other as, you know, there's been close ties. Let's say, uh, obviously, Russia is a big, big country and stuff. Ties are closer in some areas than in others, but generally speaking, I don't think any Russians would have ever uh, countenanced uh, calls for, you know, kill all the Ukrainians type thing, D- despite what they were doing to Eastern Ukrainians, p- people in Donbas. So, yeah, and there's no picture of him. I mean, he's Putin's brain, right? That's what he's been, been, oh, been called, Putin's Christ, brain. Wrong. And the Western media has actually been, has promote, has been promoting that. They, they try to associate him with what they call him, Steve Bannon and the new right-wing, you know, extreme right-wing conservatives. Bannon isn't a bad comparison to make yeah, where Bannon can run with his mouth and he goes overboard. Yeah. Objectively. You know, even his supporters can agree with that. Yeah. That's similar with Dugan. Mm. But when it comes to it, his writings are actually on the mark and measured. Mm. But his mouth can go. Right. And that's probably why he never was officially recognized of as an advisor, much less as any actual official mm-hmm. for the Kremlin. He's, he's supposedly Putin's brain, but there, you'll not, you, won't, you can't find one picture of him with Putin or even no. in the same room as Putin. No. So which brings up the question, why would anybody want to try and kill him? Um, can we just look at this, the Daily Mail's headline of this event? Putin's brain. They managed to get every trope about Dukin into one frickin' sentence. <laughs> Daughter of Ukraine war mastermind. Right. Horseshite beyond <laughs> all example. horseshite, yeah, okay? Is blown to pieces in Moscow car bomb. Daria Dugin assassinated in attack meant for her father, Alexander. They're quoting, someone is saying that so far in Russia, but not sure of that. One of Putin's closest aides, Horshite number two, often dubbed the Russian leader's brain Horshite number three. Twenty fucking years they've been going on about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, who in the West? We were talking about this earlier. Who in the West still uh, really knows? They w- might know about him now. This might this might last more than actually twenty four hours in the news cycle in the West. 
But whenever reference is made to him, those three bloody tropes mm-hmm. come all out at once. Mastermind. Oh, the other one is actually mentioned in the very first bloody sentence. The number, the fourth one about Dugan, the daughter of Putin's, the daughter of Putin's so-called Rasputin. Because the long beard, the serious face, the intense eyes. They just go, he's Rasputin then, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting historical mix, actually, because Rasputin, in fact, uh, was nothing like the evil monk they portrayed. He wasn't even a bloody monk to start with. Anyway, so, um, yeah, Putin's brain. Just just horseshit. Uh, he's, he, the man is 60 now. He came on the radar uh, in the early 90s because, you know, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, Dugan is, he is indeed from Russia's noble nobility. So mm-hmm. his father was either KGB or party member, or whatever. He was, in, he was part of his father, was in government. So he's, um, you know, um, a young thinker. I'm not sure what his job was in the 90s at the collapse of the USSR, but he begins um, writing and speaking to others about what next, you know. Mm-hmm. And ideology is the center of it. So hang on a second, we were communist for the last 70 years and now it's just ripped away, so so what are we, you know? Mm-hmm. And begins a discussion, um, uh, <coughs> which goes in all kinds of directions. He himself tried out certain things with others who today, they're, you know, ideologically they're arch enemies, they're mm-hmm. ultra-liberals, you know, they, all kinds of things. Moscow becomes a soup of political discussion as to where we go next, you right. know? Yeah, anyway, yeah. long story short, Dugan ends up like seriously conservative, traditionalist, um, mm-hmm. uh, n- not rewriting, but revising much of the Sovietization of Russian history up to that point, because the Soviets rewrote a lot of stuff. They mm-hmm. basically airbrushed a whole, and they airbrushed and they basically tarnished the entire history of imperial and before that, um, you know, Ivan the Tsar of... Uh, Ivan the, the Ivan the Third's Russia. Ivan the Terrible, right? Actually, the translation is Ivan the Awesome. But um, so the it's part of a, an intellectual reawakening in Russia. What is Russia? What is it to be Russian, etc. And he comes up with this term neo Eurasianism. Right. Eurasianism doesn't begin with Dugan. He himself is citing a group of thinkers who, at Russia's last crisis juncture. Uh, the Bolshevik Revolution mm. began what became to be loosely known as the Eurasian Movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another story in its own right. But um, neo-Eurasian is a kind of basically anti-globalist. Right. Um, it's looking at the world, how it's developed, trying to objectively understand what's going on. We've said this before about Putin and his actual advisors. They clearly have studied very well systems, patterns, of how things come about, how things really work in the world, behind the ideology that the West holds up about democracy and freedom and the norms of democracy. Mm -hmm. They said, okay, that's what they're saying they're doing. What are they actually doing? And then, therefore, out of that objective study of how it works, the the world in reality, it's partly to do with money flows and capitalism, so actual economic issues, and it's partly to do with ideological and moral positions they espouse. So the only, the difference then, I suppose, that he, Dugan is never actually acknowledged to be involved on the inside. Nope. Dugan, therefore, is 
an, an outward, an outer expression. He's outside the Kremlin walls, I suppose, giving voice to yeah. a lot of the thinking, indeed, that was going on behind said walls. Right. Mm, um, maybe. There is overlap because a lot of things Duden has said that are now quarter of a century old, you will now hear coming out of Putin's mouth in his speeches. Mm -hmm. You know, 10 years ago, Dugan wrote a book harshly critical of Vladimir Putin. He's he's far too pro-Western. He's far too much of a capitalist. He's far too much, you know, believing in the markets far too much of a liberal. And then he said, don't even get me started about Medvedev. He mm. thought Medvedev is a traitor to this country, you know, and that's the kind of trend actually that, that still exists mm-hmm. uh, in the pro-Putin Russia that always oh, suspicious of Medvedev. Okay, mm. fine. Um, th- so there is, there is something to be said for at least the seeding of ideas. The man, either himself or the people he was lo- loosely associated with in the 1990s, um, began to say new things like multipolar world concept mm-hmm. that's also partly mm-hmm. Dugan's he gave, he gave voice to it anyway in Russia but the main overall thing they were talking about is the importance of geopolitics it's geopolitics that is now a, a mainstay of nighttime shows and discussions in Russia mm-hmm. and has been for some time I suppose the last decade Putin, uh, Dugan rather was all about educating people about geopolitics what it means, land versus sea mm. movements, peoples and war. Um, uh, McKinder's theory of you know geopolitics, the world island versus the periphery. Dugan was key in, in general, not just educating, I suppose, his students in a formal way in his courses at university, but more generally, whenever he'd get on TV, the Russian people. So um, he brought geopolitics front and center to intellectual public discourse in Russia. That's his main contribution. Yeah, well, he's probably one of, one, of, one of a He's few. not the only one. He's one of many, and he's also not, I don't think he's the originator of it. It would be a bit of a stretch to think that he's the originator of it. I, th- I certainly think that people in, in, <clears throat> in positions of power in, in Russia had, you know, had those ideas uh, a long time ago. They're fairly, fairly obvious ideas. Like, I mean, you look at Russia in the 1990s coming out of the fall of the Soviet Union and then trying to rebuild itself and looking at the world, they're going to come up with those ideas, you know what I mean, of, of a multipolar world and it's not for America dominates the world. We need, we need to take our rightful place in the world. China's doing exactly the same thing. There's one belt and one road. That didn't come from Dugan. Uh, so th- these are obvious ideas that, yeah. you know, don't... My, my point here is there's no reason to, to attack this guy. He's, he's not like some... He's not like some Rasputin, as they claim, that he's like he's the, the fount of all the wisdom, and without him, Russia wouldn't be doing what it's doing in mm-hmm. Ukraine, or Russia wouldn't be doing what it's doing in general, globally. And uh, so I don't think uh, there's any... He, yeah, he, he echoed it, uh, but you can look at America and see the same people. I mean, how many think tanks are there uh, across the US who have been pushing, you know... Um, back to, well, you can go back as long as you want, but, you know, the neoconservatives and the idea of America's place in the world and all that kind of stuff. Are you going to take any one of those people and attack them and think that that's going to have any effect on it? You know, back in the day, if somebody didn't like uh, neoconservatism and and the idea of, you know, know, shoring up America's defences and, you know, keeping its control over the world, take out Wolfowitz, that'll teach them. That'll that'll sort it out. That'll stop them. That'll stop the (coughs) Americans in their tracks. So it's kind of futile is what I'm saying. I don't understand the point in it. To to go by their narrative, imagine they believe their own BS. This is Putin's brain, okay? Imagine they had actually success. It had really been attentive for him, the car bomb, and killed him last night. It would mean that right now, today, 24 hours later, if that's Putin's brain, 
Russia has just, quote, lost intelligence. Yeah, and no, thus the war, no. the war, the mastermind of the war, they just lost the war. Dugan's dead, right? It's and silly. thus the regime will collapse any but day silly. now. The Putin's brain thing is just, it's just uh, media, you know, yellow media hackery, basically. It's, it's, it's stupid. It's idiotic. It's, it's, it's appropriate that you put up the Daily Mail. Of course, it's, it's parroted by other supposedly more sober and serious yeah, outlets like the BBC. They're so they're it. all like the Daily Mail at this point. I mean, in 2000, I would just... Uh, read something a while ago there about the, and I, I was just looking at some um, art PDFs from the Rand Corporation, which is a fairly well-known uh, U.S. think tank that sh- shapes a, a global policy think tank. Let's say that sh- that helps to shape one of many, I suppose, that helped to shape uh, American thinking about the world and stuff. And in 2017, they in an article about Russia and Eurasia and that kind of stuff, they said that despite Western media reports of Dugan's alleged ties and connections to the Russian leadership, he is perhaps best thought of as an extremist provocateur with some limited and peripheral impact than as an influential analyst and a direct impact on policy. So they're basically saying, that's them saying their <coughs> assessment of him. Is that's that he's, accurate. He's not really... Yeah. This, this guy isn't someone that is a problem for us in a certain sense. He's not... He's not yeah. uh, in fact, he was a gift to them. He was useful because he, he served as a lightning rod to mm. put a face on Russian ideology, right. which, which, which baffled the hell out of all the Western analysts for mm-hmm. decades. What's Putin playing? What, what do they really believe? And so they came up with all kinds of things. Like After Dugan, they honed in on Surkov, mm. Vladimir Surkov, who was actually an advisor for Putin. And Surkov did say some things publicly that they could hang their hat on. Mm. He used the term managed democracy. Aha! So Russia's only pretending to be a democracy on the outside, but actually it's all controlled from the inside. And Surkov is a mastermind and he creates fake opposition parties and thus they control. There may be some of that going on for sure. But if there is, is, so what? It isn't going on in the West. It's exactly how managed democracy is precisely what we all live in. So um, he, he he was a gift in that like Trump was a lightning rod because the guy had gaffes and ways of saying things that were just like, come on, man, you can't be serious, mm. you know? That's very unpresidential. Yeah. So Dugan was useful as well. Like when he's, one of his provoc- provocateur stunts was when the Georgia war broke out, you know, and rather than just analyze it <laughs> or, you know, at least be glad because he was looking for that kind of thing. He's like, we really need to put a foot down here with our former wider Russian world territories mm-hmm. that are trying to pick us off and break us up, blah, blah, blah. So he goes to Georgia or nearby, poses with the troops, and he's holding up a massive gun, you know. <laughs> and then he puts that, I don't know, on social media, whatever mm-hmm. he had at the time. So, yeah. They, they, Steve, liked Steve having, they liked having someone who they could say, you see, that Russian, the beard, the intense eyes. He's more of a, an intellectual... Uh, uh, version of Steve Bannon, basically, let's say. Uh, again, it doesn't... Uh, the interesting point for me uh, in this is who did it, you know? Who, who decided to, to do it? And it brings up an interesting possibility or theory is that, you know, like Zoya uh, just commented that, uh, you know... Um, what did she say about Armag- uh, Armageddon or... Judgment Day. Judgment Day. Medvedev's Judgment, uh, Day. judgment, uh, Medvedev's judgment Day, which is Medvedev saying that, you know, if they cross certain lines or whatever, there's going to be there's going to be serious repercussions, stuff that, like, that they've never experienced before, like the West, basically. If they, he didn't say what those, what those lines were, so we're left to uh, try and figure out ourselves what, um, what is meant by that. But obviously, it's not anything that's happened over the past uh, week or two, which is... Uh, Something else we can mention just about the attacks in Crimea and stuff that hasn't provoked any kind of a 
uh, a judgment day type response, right? A direct response. So that isn't doesn't seem to be a, a red line for, for for Russia. But an interesting idea maybe is that a, a kind of spin on that idea of the West. Obviously, we know the West are directly involved in um, in in the, in the war in Ukraine. They're basically the facilitators of the war in Ukraine. It's a proxy war by the U.S. primarily against Russia. They're using Ukrainian troops. They're, they're they're deeply involved in terms of obviously supplying weapons and also targeting you know specific you know they're 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 they're, they're fighting a war against Russia in all but name effectively because I mean what's the difference the only thing they don't have is boots on the ground American or or NATO boots on the ground because they have Ukrainians but for everything else it's more or less a, a Western war a NATO slash American war against Ukraine um. But then you do have a Ukrainian element in it, right? And my what I'm wondering is this kind of event, um, I would say it was probably carried out by Ukrainians. And what I'm wondering is if the Ukrainians have some element within the Ukrainian state, maybe, um, maybe working with the Americans or maybe not, but they have an agenda to try and provoke, to try and, try and create the conditions or uh, create a situation where America is seen to cross one of Russia's red lines. That the Ukrainians actually at this point, uh, to the extent that they have some uh, some um, independence or sovereignty left, let's say, which isn't a lot, but to the extent that, that they have a bit of it left, that their goal or their plan is to widen this war and to do what they can secretly in a certain sense or independently of their American masters or their NATO masters and to try and carry out attacks that will, um, they hope, provoke Russia to engage directly with um, with NATO forces, possibly inside or outside, whatever, we don't know the details, but outside of Russia. Because at this point, I can imagine that those, pe- those crazy people, Zelensky and the people around him, behind him, but basically <coughs> Ukrainians, not, a, not even at this point, but maybe all along, they would have liked. I mean, they would have been clamouring all the time, more weapons, more, do more, do more, give us more, more, more support. It would be a bit of a no-brainer for them to think, you know, shouldn't we try and really get Russia and NATO directly in contact with each other? Because that would help us. The, that would help us to be wiped off the map. No, because we're talking about turning the focus away from inside Ukraine and onto NATO forces outside of Ukraine. Okay. Expanded. It would, really. at draw, this point, it would draw away Russian at, at, firepower against us. Yeah, at this point, they have nothing to lose. They may think that they've got nothing to lose because, despite all the media rhetoric and all the bullshit headlines and the, you know the copium that's being spread around mm-hmm. Western media for the past six months since this thing started, uh, Russia obviously is progressing according to plan, um, and I think the Ukrainians know that. Uh, certainly, may have, may have had some doubts at the beginning that they, that it could be stopped in some way. But I think at this point they realise that there's no stopping it. It's going to go where Russia wants it to go, which is probably the annexation of a large part of Ukraine, leaving Ukrainian rump state. That just is, it's the end of Ukraine basically. So at that point, <coughs> the people, like I said, who have some influence and control or power in Ukraine still may be thinking, "Listen, we need to expand this. The only way we can defeat Russia is to get Russia and NATO directly involved with each other." It's a crazy idea, obviously, but these are crazy people. Yeah, and it, you know, so so hot war between them, and <clears throat> Rick's con- they don't care about MAD, whatever. Yeah, I don't think that would happen, but I think uh, it would just be an escalation of the war, and it's it's you know obviously like, as I said, 
Medvedev referenced it. It's been referenced by by others in 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 Russian in the Russian government before. Listen, this you know this you better not push this too far. America and NATO better not push this too far because we will take uh, action against any aggression above and beyond a certain a certain line, a certain limit uh, that we don't know what it is yet. But uh, I would imagine totally that uh, it's possible anyway that the Ukrainians would say, listen. Uh, Russia needs to be firing missiles at Poland, at NATO training centers or NATO centers in Poland, in the Baltic states, wherever, because that gets them with more. That's that puts puts skin in the game, real skin in the game for them. Of course, America has skin in the game. That's why they started this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But really, uh, public opinion type thing. Russia attacks America. Russia attacks NATO. You know, all over the newspapers. There would be glee in Kiev, in certain circles. Mm-hmm. What's well, funny is they say that there's stuff going around that uh, people pulled up from 2005. Guess who was once considered a, himself a Eurasianist? Arestovich. He shared a platform at a conference with Dugan in 2005. Mm. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Um, it's interesting that those two mercurial figures were very much on opposite sides at the moment, once shared a platform. Mm. And Arestovich was all about, you know, anti-liberalism, anti-globalism. You could see what in is. Eurasian stuff attracted him to it. He still is anti-LGBT, ultra-liberalism. officially, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's definitely enough mercurial elements in Ukraine to go there. Yeah, there's, there's those... People like Arestovich in Ukraine for a long time have thought of Ukraine as like a powerhouse. You know, it's it's a it's a big country, a lot of resources, and in Eurasia it would play a big a big role if Eurasia was going to be become a new kind of center, a global center in a multipolar world or whatever. Yeah, I can imagine how he would be like on board with that until uh, it became clear that you know, and of course that wasn't going to be allowed to happen by the Americans effectively targeting Dugan rile his supporters <clears throat> there's another element of Dugan that is uh, heavy throughout what he says it's an eschatological angle on this it very much has been preaching for the last 30 years that this is a, the ultimate battle between good and evil a holy war holy war this is Armageddon his quote on Ukraine going around at the moment Russia is not at war with Ukraine it is driving the devil out of Ukraine this is a geopolitical exorcism um, but when you put that with Arestovich not working together, so to speak, on the side of global conflagration <laughs> in a holy war. And Arestovich isn't alone. You know, Yuki's ordinary rank and file, Yuki's, uh, they think it's a holy war too. Mm. You know, um, they're, con- they're as convinced as your orthodox Russians on the other side that they're on the side of right um, and Moscow being destroyed in... A nuclear blast is where this has to go. They, that's where they're determined to go, and they're prepared to sacrifice themselves, a lot of them. They have this kind of jihadi um, ISIS element to them. They don't mind going off in suicide bombs, quite a lot of them, I think, to uh, to reach that end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes, so uh, that's that's just we don't know much, but obviously, but my my assessment of the situation of the situation right now that it was a Ukrainian um, operation. Uh, I don't think it would have been a 
It's possible, of course, but I don't think it was a, a direct hand of, like, say, the CIA or MI6 or something like that. It was more likely to be the SBU uh, in Ukraine. Do uh, they have that kind of reach, though, into Moscow? Can they do that on their own? So all sorts. Of, I mean, once you get into that, you start talking about sleeper cells and people have been there. Like, even talk about that when we talk about Crimea, that's one of the, the, the attacks on Crimea uh, <coughs> over the past uh, couple of weeks have been... Uh, you'd almost have to assume... That there are some kind of sleeper cells, not not there since you know the last six months, but that they have been able to infiltrate into the country, um, and and carry out those kind of uh, those kind of attacks. You know. On that topic, look at this from um, <clears throat> I think it's a British paper. I can't remember. This was published last week. New York Times. Behind enemy lines, Ukrainians tell Russians you are never safe. Clandestine resistance cells are spotting targets, sabotaging rail lines, and killing those deemed collaborators as they seek to terrorize Russian forces. Uh, scroll down a bit. I think this specifically is operations in Russian-occupied Ukraine. Yeah. That's bigging up... Um, uh, so Western media is aware of it. So I don't know. I don't think you can separate Kiev doing this kind of sabotage terror stuff or counterinsurgency operations from Western intelligence. No, absolutely. Yeah. But they're, they're, it's not like they're being put up to it. They have their own. They're being, facili- they're being facilitated to yeah. do it, by, helped to do it by Western, Western agents. But, uh, yeah, the thing is that kind of thing is normal in war, uh, in this kind of conflict. It, it happens, you know, it's part of history, uh, the history of these, these kind of conflicts. Um, but it's, it's, it goes away, you know, it's part of the, the ongoing war and it happens while the war is still supposedly, you know, um, in, in, in play in a certain sense. But once the war is won, there's a decisive victory type thing that all obviously just disappears. It's not, it isn't usually something that continues on for a long time, you know. It can't really because there's no support for it anymore. Mm. Um, there's no motivation, it's done, you know. So we'll have to see, but it could be that... Um, it could be that, uh, like I said, whoever's motivated to do it, I don't think, at least not officially, in places like the State Department and the CIA and stuff, that they're interested in in, in, an expand, in the war expanding. They would, th- their ideal situation is to keep being able to harry and harass Russia and make Russia bleed, let's say, in, in the confines of Ukraine. Lindsey For, Graham said the current situation thing in play is great yeah. just leave it like for that for as long as possible he said that last right. week right but they made it kind of deal with the devil in a certain sense by hanging out with people like uh, Zelensky and Aristovich and, and those crazies inside Ukraine um, and I think they may be they may of have. a mind right now to try and say listen no we need it's like there's a bad deal for them you imagine they want to they have some kind of sense of patriotism and want to you know run the country after after they defeat Russia and they're to be a country and, 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 keep, and secure the position they're like Keeping us as the cauldron is—it's not good. Like you know, mm. I mean, I want you guys who are helping us. I NATO. I want you directly involved. I want this to spread out. I want to bring more NATO forces, more NATO, uh, you know, uh, resources directly into this fight against Russia. We want Russia destroyed in one way or another, and the only way that's going to happen <coughs> is if we get Russia and NATO directly uh, direct contact between those two. Right. How can we do that? <coughs> well, let's, let's sit down and think about it. The U.S. thinks it can control them. 
but they may have caught a tiger by the tail. Yeah. The only thing a psychopath respects is a bigger, nastier, more cunning psychopath. Now, obviously, on the face of it, that's the USA. It's a bigger country by far. It's got the experience of all this. But in Ukraine, like, <laughs> there are some seriously crazy people. Exactly. Uh, and, and the people directing the, the conflict on behalf of America, the, the Americans directly involved in facilitating directing the Ukrainian forces and giving them weapons and all that kind of stuff against Russia, they're doing it. They're, that's on the level. Like that's not. There's nothing secret about that. I mean, the Russians have said it. Uh, it's been in the Western press that this is what actually ha- they're happening. They're they're actually gloating about it in a certain sense that Western, uh, British and American, French, whatever forces are directly helping Ukrainians, obviously with weapons, but also for targeting. And they're actually they're doing the targeting. Yeah, yeah. They're given all the intelligence for where to hit the Russians here, there, and then they're even kind of. Punching in the coordinates, let's say, making sure they know how to do it. Because the Ukrainians, you know, they're using NATO weaponry here, and the Ukrainians aren't very familiar with NATO weaponry and NATO uh, infrastructure. So it definitely is. They're, they're directly involved in it, and the Western media has been open about that. Yeah. Uh, so in recent weeks, so that's, yeah. all, that's all on the level type thing, you know. Uh, that's not underground stuff. Um, but there could be underground stuff would be stuff, like I said, carry and because that's official policy, right? The official policy, like you just said, Lindsey Graham says, let's just keep it this way. But uh, unofficial policy, as far as the Americans are concerned, I don't think there is any. It's just that official policy. It's, it's bad enough. It's nefarious enough. And they've been able to bring the Western media and Western uh, uh, people, to a large extent, uh, on board with that idea of let's get evil Russia. Let's do whatever we need to do to get evil Russia. This is all you know, uh, above board. But So anything illicit or underground would be coming from the Ukrainians <coughs> because there isn't another agenda on the part of... Uh, uh, the West, the Americans, NATO. There isn't another. There isn't another agenda to spread it outside of Russia. The only wor- only place that agenda would come from would be amongst the Ukrainians, the crazies okay. in Ukraine. Until now, I've, I've assumed that anything Ukraine does has U.S. backing. But that, yeah, well, that's a good. It, that's, that's true. Good, that's, that's true. Good, but I'm um, thinking like now at, this, idea at this point, they're starting to get to the point where listen, this is this is looking like despite all the. Rhetoric in the media. This is looking like the defeat of Ukraine. This isn't going the way we wanted to go, and the Americans don't really care. You know, sure they'd like to uh, deal, a, a give Russia a defeat in this respect. But even if Russia kind of wins, they know they'll be able to spin it, and they've made shit loads of money already. They'll continue to make money, and they'll get half of Ukraine or something like that. Or you know what I mean? It's it's a win win. The Americans just walk away. They're not at the point where they're all in to kind of defeat Russia. They're just trying to make Russia suffer as much as possible. And when they can't make it suffer anymore because Russia has effectively achieved its objectives, they just go, well, whatever. That was all Russia's fault. See, with Russia, they're just nuts, whatever. And they walk away and then walk away with their pockets full of money, basically, and, and happy. Ukrainians, not so much. Any Ukrainians that are left with some kind of sense of, you know, patria and uh, personal interest, you know. This just repeats what you just said, but I think we should show it. It's um, <coughs> This is the official U.S. position um, stated this week, I think anonymously, but the claim is it was reported by Politico. I think it's from the White House or whoever. Um, this is RT, but you can go to Politico. It's um, the official Washington policy right now includes Crimea as a legitimate target. Because mm-hmm. in, their, in their boasting about all the help and the weapons targeting, the actual intelligence help they're giving Ukrainians, they say, well, no, it's only strictly within Crimean 
uh, uh, Ukrainian borders, but they are including Kiev in that. So, uh, uh, they're including Crimea in that. So is that, you know, holy shit, that's that not the red line for Russia. There's overlap there, there's a gray area. And the, the Russians have said that explicitly, that any attack, direct attack on Crimea would be a, a problem. And I think reading between the lines on that, what the Russians mean by that is any attack on Crimea that is significant enough that it would actually succeed uh, will, be, will be a red line, you know, where, where the Americans go all in. The third paragraph there, we don't select targets, of course, bullshit, um, and everything we provided is for self-defense purposes. Right. Any target they choose to pursue, they, the uh, Ukrainians, on sovereign Ukrainian soil is by definition self-defense. So that's what they're going with officially, and that includes, next sentence, Crimea is Ukraine. That's that's what troubles me, at least in the immediate, because it is, if Russia's red line is Crimea, well, there have been a lot of incidents. Just, just in the last, on Friday alone, I think, um, Russian air defense systems launched near the Crimean Bridge on the Kerch side, so the mainland Russian side. Um, apparently a drone was incoming at the Crimean mm-hmm. Bridge. Um, a civilian airport, civilian airport, not... The military one was targeted last week. A civilian airport in Crimea had a drone attack. Mm-hmm. An arms depot was obliterated in northern Crimea. Um, and then, of course, there's the one that did get more attention, the military site, the airport next to Sebastopol, which was about 10 days ago now at this point. Um, where the planes were destroyed. Where the, the planes were destroyed. And in that case, like there was no evidence that any missile had been incoming. No. That really did look like someone walked to individual mm-hmm. planes, mm-hmm. attached IEDs and blew them up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's your sabotage. That's your counterinsurgency type stuff. But it's in Crimea. Right. There, there's there's going to be overlap there. It's one thing if it's within the Russian-occupied... If it, and so that's the question. Where do the Ukrainians, uh, the Russians, keep getting the mix, uh, say, okay, hang on a second. Crimea is Russian. Mm-hmm. Referendum, right? Because they can constantly poke Crimea uh, over and over. Um, anyway, so that's far, why, so far, nothing. That's why the, the, them doing this is just going to encourage the Russians to continue on to realize that this, this isn't, there's no turning back now, you know, there's no stopping before the full completion of their, of their agenda in, in Ukraine, which was, is regime, regime change effectively, you know what I mean? To neuter Ukraine to the point that it cannot uh, attack Russia um, or be used by, primarily be used by America as a, as a way to attack Russia. And that's, they're not going to stop now, like they're going to, carry on they're going to continue on to the end i mean they never were going to stop anyway i don't think but um all these kind of events are just uh convincing serving to convince the russians that they're absolutely right in what they're doing okay first on the bombing of the or potential bombing of the zaporizhian nuclear plant Uh look at this tweet this is from british mp this week hmm Tobias Elwood, Conservative MP, think he was in government, uh, whatever. Let's make it clear now, he writes, any deliberate damage causing potential radiation leak to a Ukrainian nuclear reactor would be a breach of NATO's Article <laughs> 5. <laughs> and NATO's Article 5 is collective self-defense, mm-hmm. i.e. NATO is officially at war with Russia. No, what it actually means is that NATO sits down together and they all try and figure out right. whether or not they're going to do anything. <laughs> but is that not a Westerner looking, itching to find the trigger? That'll 
yeah. provoked direct well, war with Russia like, rather than a Ukrainian idiot, idiot MPs that. and stuff like that who have no no idea what they're talking about yeah. okay. who aren't part of the the, 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 the kind of in group but it's it's but that's that in itself is a complete nonsense I mean it's it's just been one after the other uh, 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 you know one other one after the other or successive raft of bullshit about given topics as, as they mm-hmm. come along in the in the string of events basically that's the latest one where Russia took this uh uh, the power plant in um, in Zaporizhia, and um, and I haven't shot up about you know uh, Russia Russia bombing it, Russia holding it. I mean, this is the level of of yeah. inanity and idiocy. Russia's they, in the same article, Western press would say Russia has taken and is holding this nuclear power plant, but at the same time they're bombing it. At the same time they're firing missiles at the place that they so. It's like me firing a missile straight up in the air so it lands on top of my head. Did you notice the F word in that article? The logic to it, they're saying, yes, Russia's holding it, and yes, Russia's bombing it, in order to cause a false flag incident that would blame Ukraine. Blame Ukraine, and they've modeled the, the likely uh, spread of radioactive, the radioactive cloud that would come out of it, and it, most of it goes over Belarus. Right. Uh, or half, um, as much over Belarus as over Ukraine. Belarus being Russia's ally. So Russia is going to poison the people of Belarus by by causing a, a nuclear meltdown in this nuclear power plant. I mean, it's we're just so deep into ideological bullshit where truth is nowhere to be found, and it's just make up whatever shit makes you feel good. It's just bizarre, and that's the media, that's the Western media, that's the BBC doing that. Yeah, and the horseshit is, is revealed less than twenty four hours later by the next report. Um, these are Russian soldiers who were stationed at or very near this very same chemical plant. They had to be rushed out of there um, because they basically were subject to a chemical weapon attack of some kind. Russian soldiers in Ukraine near Zaporizhia have been hospitalized with severe chemical poisoning. The toxin, botulinum toxin type B, was discovered in the system. Yeah. Well, chemical warfare, yeah. I mean, the Ukrainians, you know, th- this is the thing. The Ukrainians do retain some level of independence. As much as we've said that it's a, it's a war using Ukraine, directed by the, by the U.S. primarily, they do remain, retain a, a level of independence of operation, independence of, op- of, of action. And they do have stockpiles, probably, uh, to, to one extent or another, of these chemical warfare agents. And I'm not, you know, I've no... I, doesn't raise even an eyebrow with me if I if I see that they've decided, you know, because they have <laughs> yeah. they hate the Russians so much that at this point it's anything, anything goes. goes. And the only thing maybe in that sense restraining the Ukrainians is is the Americans. It's weird. At the same time, while they're inciting them, they're only inciting them in a certain direction that serves the American agenda. Hmm. But they have to restrain them probably in certain areas from going too far, which, from the American point of view, would. Not be in our interests, not or, be in or Lindsey Graham's es- interests. Escalate too sharply, too fast, right? Or something. Right. Yeah. You have to. They're like they're like mad children. You have to kind of try and try and keep under control. You know. Um. Yeah. You know, there's also the sabotage is rife in Russia proper as well. Um, uh, arson attacks, mysterious explosions, all the way since. Here's a list of them. Since the beginning of this. Um, each one is just kind of eaten up by Russia, and maybe the country's big enough and courageous enough just to 
keep going and not respond to any of them. But it does it does worry Russians, you know. Um, this is a Wikipedia list of them. 2022 Russian mystery fires all across the country, mostly, of course, in the country's um, far west. west bordering Ukraine. If you scroll down, um, you know, begins in March, oil depots, railway bridge, chemical plant, um, military air base, yeah. ammunition depot. Fair game, I suppose, they're military targets. But in many of the cases, though, there's no obvious incoming. And a couple of them that got international news, there were helicopters being flying in and out. They were actually shelled or there were missile attacks. But the, the reason they're mystery, because these ones, is because they don't know. There's no incoming air assault. No, it's, it's sabotage. It's, it's behind enemy lines. It's, it's, yeah, the, it's the, the Ukrainian resistance, you know, against Nazi Germany. Yeah, there's that. But it's even more diffuse as well than that. Um, the Russian commentators or WA, Russians with Attitude, those guys, their podcast, um, they speculated based on some evidence. I, I, I didn't see what it is, but they speculate that Ukrainians, a bit like those um, cold calls they were making throughout Russia mm. to tell people, you know, your son's been killed, to give them false information about the war, stuff like that, that they were, uh, that they are rewarding putting out calls and rewarding Russians with payment to commit acts of sabotage and that this has been taken up to some extent by, you know, either hopelessly poor or criminal types or whatever, mm -hmm. not ideologically committed mm -hmm. types in Russia. So you've got that going on as well. Like it's um, possibly. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's a horrible situation to be in. And, you know, I, I, I mean, we're not Russian, but you can imagine what it would feel like. And you would desperately want it to end. You would want it to be solved. Obviously, you'd want the war to end. So come on, deal with it. But also, on the way to that, you'd want the sabotage and the assaults, the the butterfly mines now being fired across the border into Russian towns as well. Mm -hmm. You'd want that to stop. But... Um, The, horror, the 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 more the more horrific thing to consider is that th this may not stop. This is, may just be something that they accept as a cost of doing what they're trying to do in Ukraine. Yeah, for sure. Um, of course, there will there is no judgment day. There is no final denouement um, where Russia goes. You know what? That's it. We're going to bomb NATO headquarters. You know, I understand yeah. the urge to like, go on, yeah. hit them back, do it. Mm. But it's just unlikely. It's But that's that's part of the kind of, as much as Russia says that their special military operation, quote unquote, is a is for the denazification of Ukraine and all the other reasons they give about it's basically protecting Russia's vital national interests in order to do something about the situation in Ukraine, the build up of weapons and the plan to basically, you know, invade the Donbass, frantic back Crimea and possibly invade Russia. Um, as much as they say all of that, they, as much as they justify in noble terms their invasion of Ukraine, they're aware that it is an aggression. Like Russia did, you know, as much as you can say Russia was provoked to do all that kind of stuff, the bottom line is their perspective pursuing a war and they can't be so naive or so petulant in a certain sense or to to, to scream bloody murder mm -hmm. when there's pushback mm. they, they recognize that 
as much as they think they're on the, the side of they have right on their side, they recognise that Ukraine and its allies have a right to respond, have a, have a right to, to try and defend themselves. It's kind of like a fair play in a certain sense, you know what yeah. I mean? Where, um, you know, it's it's noble in a certain sense because you probably wouldn't get that from America. You know what I mean? You, 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 America f- feels that it has the right to attack anybody, and if they dare to lift the hand in, 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 in response to defend themselves, then they get smacked even harder. How yeah. dare you resist? But Russia rec- seems to recognise that the Ukrainians have a right to resist in whatever way they can. And so it's a fair fight in that respect, you know. Uh, so that's why this kind of idea of a red line is is, is not very clear. And yeah. I think it would have to be something quite egregious. egregious and serious for Russia to actually smack down a hand that was going beyond, you know what I mean? Um, it's like, it's like uh, I don't know... Um, it's like somebody challenges you in a fair fight in a boxing ring or something like that, and, and you both get gloves and you both go at it type thing, and your 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 corners can support you and your corner can support you or whatever. But as soon as your corner gives you a hammer, then I gotta, well, I gotta get a get get a I don't know a taser, a taser or something. something to take you out. Or I gotta make sure that you know you can't you don't break the rules. In fact, there are some rules that are not spoken, but there seems to be some unspoken rules about this kind of conflict, at least as far as Russia is concerned, you know? Yeah. Queensbury rules. There was a form- no biting. A formal, a formal warning from Russia's ambassador in the US this week. Um, not the first one, but they don't do it often, you know? Um, just warning against the, the increasing risk of direct military clash between Russia and the U.S. Maybe that's them trying to speak around Kiev to Washington like, you know... Who was saying that? The Russian ambassador to the United mm. States in the um, mm-hmm. uh, Russian embassy in a formal statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. steps to... The ambassador writes, the U.S. steps to further engage in a hybrid confrontation with Russia in the context of the Ukrainian crisis are fraught with unpredictable escalation mm. and a direct military clash of nuclear power, blah, blah, blah. Well, we know that. Um, yeah, I think what was said in the context of Zaporizhia, um, again, is that the U.S. pushing for that or is that the Ukrainians trying to do something... Mm-hmm. Insane, like basically start another Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Um, would they be that nuts? Would they actually cause a radiation cloud over their own country? I'd say some of them would, yeah. At a certain point where you feel, for right or wrong, you feel like you've got nothing left to lose, left to lose and the, um, doing nothing is worse than doing anything to, to attack the enemy, even if it's uh, an own goal at the same time. It's a, it's, it, it, it hurts you as much as it hurts them. Yeah, people get to that point, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, it's weird. So, well, I just have to wait and see where things go, um, if they go anywhere at all. Um, I, you can imagine the kind of gaming of scenarios that the US is involved in and the Russians or whatever, but particularly the US because they're kind of like they're in control of whether or not the conflict, where the conflict goes effectively because they're the ones who kind of more or less started the conflict. Um, they have so the power to end it. They have the power to end it in their control, their control of whether it continues and if, where it goes in that respect, how, you know, how far it goes. Um, you can imagine the kind of gaming of scenarios that they have where, you know, if we do this, does that cross Russia's red line? Can we get away with doing this? What about this? What, how do we win this without... without it's, almost, it's, it's delusional in a way because how do we, how do we you know, 
push this to the brink where Russia is defeated, you know, you know, officially categorically defeated in its in its in, in Ukraine, but that Russia doesn't respond to to stop us from defeating it. So how do we defeat them by deception, by, by in secret? How do we? What can we do to stop them, to, to to defeat them, without them knowing about it? You know, how do we? Maybe we just believe that they're really stupid. You know, despite all the evidence that they're not. You know, um, or gaming situations where they do go beyond a certain point, and it does. I'm sure they've gamed this as well, where it actually does spill out over uh, out past Ukrainian borders and some direct contact between Russian and NATO forces. What does that look like? You know, how do we contain that, you know? Yeah. <sighs> it keeps, it keeps people in a job, you know? Keeps them in a job. Uh, it may be, as you, you speculated in earlier in this war, that um, other other events will overtake this um, mm-hmm. inflationary economic issues, mm-hmm. environmental issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so in their gaming, imagine like how compartmentalized it all is and they're gaming they're hyper focused on just this issue but indeed they may be correct and then if not beating Russia grinding it to a stalemate that impacts it economically for decades hence okay something like that right <laughs> but in the meantime behind the doors there's like complete chaos on the streets because inflationary issues have just caused a food riot over here just down the street here in, in, in K Street in Washington you know yeah. that's the escalating of other factors that their their blind spots just don't see, or they do see, but only in their proper context. They, they can get so focused on ideologically focused on defeating Russia or yeah, yeah. Um, bleeding Russia, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's cra- it sounds crazy. They sound like they're delusional, like you know, really like that, the way you described it. There, how can we get to the point where we can grind Russia down to the point where we can destroy it economically, or or, or you know, uh, one way or another, defeat Russia and give it a serious setback, how do we do that without Russia realizing that we're doing that? Quick, we need another think tank. Uh, and like, while well, Russia's like staring at them, you know, they may as well be across the table like you I, and I are, and you're plotting to kind of take me down, and I'm like, dude, I can see what you're doing. I, and you're like, shh, don't tell Russia. Like, you, you see what I mean? Like I, you're <laughs> I don't think they hope to convince Russia that they've lost. I think no, they no. hope to convince everyone else. No, not, well, that's that the economic lost. aspect, but in terms of the military aspect or the, the overall defeat, let's say, in one way or another, of Russia in Ukraine, that's what they've said they want to do. They want to bleed Russia dry, bleed it to the point where it's... It, and they want to deliver it. It cannot have a victory. It has to have a defeat in, in Ukraine, right? They've said that publicly, you know? And then they start going about... Uh, going about uh, planning or coming up with ideas about how to achieve that, right? After they've said it publicly, and then the things they do, Russia has ways and means to know what they're doing. So again, it's like Russia's sitting there watching them. It's like me sitting there watching you, and you thinking that you're doing stuff that's going to take me down or something, but you're doing it right in front of my face. Mm. I'm like, dude. I can see it. You know I can see that you're doing You know that I'm actually here and watching you, right? And you're like, shh, shut up. No, you can't see me. I'm going to... <laughs> it's nuts. Like, it's it's juvenile, isn't it? Um, uh, this is this is just. I mean, it's all in French, basically. Just throw it, Berscotti, uh But it's a uh, recent. I think it's the Ministry of Minister of something or other. I don't think it's Minister of French. French, anyway. And it's in French. But um, 
with Pete French, so we know what he's saying. And basically, he says he admits right in the middle of it that we have been run. He talks about France having given a hundred million dollars worth of, of weapons to Ukraine so far over the past six months, and that France has been uh, one of the preeminent suppliers of military weapons to uh, dot to um, Ukraine since 2014. And of course, you can expand that out. All, most other, a lot of other European or, or NATO member states were doing exactly the same thing and more so than France, especially the US um, have been directly involved in this since 2014 um, and that's what we've been talking about just so people know we're not spitballing here I mean this was provoked by these countries uh, they armed, trained, funded the Ukrainian military for some kind of a war with Russia slash the people of Donbass and Crimea uh, which is Russia uh, especially Crimea they were planning to facilitate the Ukrainian military to take back Crimea and Donbass. And Russia obviously wasn't going to let that happen. That was going to be a conflict between Ukraine and Russia. They knew it in 2014 and they went ahead with facilitating it since then. I have a better video. You could play that, but you you just summarise what he said. That's what he said. So um, play this instead. We've seen it before, but I've forgotten it. Um, This is the visit of John McCain and Lindsey Graham in 2014 to Ukrainian soldiers. 2014, right? Have a listen. I admire the fact that you will fight for your homeland. 2016. Your fight is our fight. 2017 will be the year of offense. 2017. All of us will go back to Washington and we will push the case against Russia. Enough of a Russian aggression. It is time for them to pay a heavier price. (laughs) Our fight is not with the Russian people, but with Putin. Our promise to you is to take your calls to Washington. Inform the American people of your bravery. And make the case against Putin to the world. I believe you will win. I am convinced you will win. And we will do everything we can to provide you with what you need to win. And we have succeeded not because of equipment, but because of your courage. So I thank you, and the world is watching, and the world is watching because we cannot allow Vladimir Putin to succeed here, because if he succeeds here, he will succeed in other countries. Of course, that uh, Al Qadr will be dead before anything happens. <coughs> he won't be, he won't be around he to see anything. He didn't get to live to see it. No. But his buddy, Graham, 
This remember this is twenty sixteen. Trump's not been elected yet. Mm. He's sure next year his weapons go. Twenty seventeen. Mm. What happens in twenty sixteen? There's an interruption. Mm. These guys were gonna go. They were all set to go. But then Trump came along. That was part right. of the reason I think why they hate Trump. Right. Because he messed up right. the timetables. Right. Um and here we are five years later and that same gloating, joyful you know, we got your back. We're going to give you everything you need. You guys are so brave. Out you go. Yeah, it it, it set them it. back, but it didn't stop it. Yeah. True. Yeah. And and just an example of ridiculous um, amounts of bullshit and lies spread on the basis of, of, of ideology. Like, I mean, we have to stop Putin, you know. Putin can't be allowed to do what he's doing. What, don't, don't describe what he's doing. What's he doing? Lindsay, what's he doing? In your own words, Lindsay, what is your problem with Putin? What's he doing? He's probably referring to Crimea. So that was a ninety-six percent of the population of Crimea were Russian. Who cares about that? Allowing the will of the people to—I mean, it happened in Kosovo. They were fine with it in Kosovo, so fine. No, of course that might be bullshit. No, I want him to tell me. Mm. He wanted to say it. What's the real reason? Yeah. No, I mean, give me a coherent argument why you're so obsessed with stopping Putin. What is it that Putin has done or will do? That it so, so so works you up that you're willing to sacrifice all of these, you know, much of the population of, of Ukraine to stop him. What's mm. your beef? Mm. Be rational now, mm-hmm. you know. Make it make sense. Don't give me ideology. Tell me exactly what it is, and we'll pick it apart and see if it's true. See if it, if it's if it's, you know. Those two were smarting since 2007 when Putin spoke in front of them at Munich the Munich Security Conference, and he told them that, look, this uh, unipolar system is just creating more problems for global world order than it is fixing them. So it's, um, he didn't say it's coming to an end, but he, he, he just described the problem objectively, and they've and been smarting and So that is, that is the problem. That is Lindsey Graham and all the rest of them in Washington, D.C.'s problem with Putin. Uh, and, and to be specific what it is, it has nothing to do with their personal wealth or position in America. Nothing Putin would do. And Putin does obviously clearly does have a plan along with China to remake the world order into a kind of multipolar world order. And that would, by definition, means that America has to at least in appearance take a, a, a demotion, let's say, from global hegemon, top dog, being, going, being able to go around the world and dictate orders to, to, to everybody. To become democratic. Right. And that's what pisses those, those people off. Oh, yeah. So it's not personal to them, except in the sense that it is personal because they're, it's personally important to them that they live in a country and are politicians, high-level politicians in a country that everybody recognizes as the bestest ever country that ever, ever yeah. was. And everybody else bows down and kisses their toes. So it's purely... Because anything less is to cast judgment on them. Right. In a negative right. sense. And they cannot have their historical legacy of being... Right. That they were judged poorly. So it's not tangible is what I'm saying. People tend to think no, that these people have tangible interests. No. It's not tangible at all. Nothing Putin would ever do if he, say Putin and, and the Chinese were, Russia and the Chinese were able to remake the world order the way they want to into a more multipolar world. America would still play an important role because of its population and all that kind of stuff and its, its position up, up to now. Yeah. But... Uh, so dominate the Northern Hemisphere. Right. Well, part of it anyway. Right. But for them, that's... Worst case scenario. I know. It's, it's ex- horrible. existential. Horrible for them. It's crazy. And, and on the basis of that, that bizarre ideology, 
they're doing what they're they're doing in, in Ukraine right now. Psychos, not jobs. Yeah. Freaks. There's, there's, there's a lot to it, though. Remember, <coughs> Putin is, has only latterly begun to articulate. In large part, I imagine, because he himself, and as an individual, his perspective has changed. But the, the, it's only in the more recent years <coughs> that he's articulated an awful lot of other things that he feels about. Namely, for example, the social issues going on in the West and Russian intransigence against embracing LGBT plus ideology and stuff. He like, and the two are linked tenuously in a, in an abstract way that only Western anti-Putin ideologues themselves can. They do a piss poor job of articulating it, but they sense it. So, for example. It's the Sochi Olympics are coming up in twenty mm -hmm. early twenty fourteen. At the same time that the ship was kicking off in Ukraine with the Maidan and then the, the counter strike by gifting uh, Crimeans a referendum, just on the eve of that, there was a barrage of propaganda in Western media that Putin hates gays. Right. And what was that about? Well, in a couple of weeks or months prior to that, a law had been passed in Russia that recently took a similar form in Florida in the United States by Governor DeSantis, which was the banning of what they said was propagandizing minors about anything right. to do with LGBT anything. All it was was just, you all have the freedom, it's enshrined in our constitution in Russia, definitely, but you must be of age to right. go there. Right. We're not putting it in the schools or other public places. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how, how widespread the ban was. And it created a freaking firestorm. Which we didn't understand. At the time. Why, why is this so controversial? Well, it's only in the subsequent expressions of demented behaviors and uh, ideas in the West in the subsequent 10 years that we understand the extreme reaction, emotional reaction that went on at the time. Because of where the, the linking of going. It, the linking of it with Putin. Mm. They unconsciously, and now it's a bit more conscious, they see him as the oppressor the tyrant objectively though th the relationship is more like he is the father he is the father figure coming to tell the way where children actually mm. i'm putting my foot down you lot are grounded mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, no mm -hmm. f you daddy let it all hang out right in the yeah, west of the i want to do whatever i want to do because yeah. i'm free yeah so f you you know um they it's it's unconscious but they the extent if you if plotted proportionally the extent of their vitriol against Putin and all the media headlines and all the characterizations of Putin as this evil octopus-like tyrant, it's directly, relation, in, directly in relation to his actual role, which is a kind of human, basically human father figure who has come to correct. Scold the children, just, yeah. just correct a few of the excesses. Yeah. He's not putting everyone in prison. He's not lopping off your hands. You, of course, will say all those horrible things about him in your yeah. phantasm. He's the worst. He's like, you know, he's Darth Vader, you know. No, he's actually just being a reasonable father about all these diverse issues. And so they're all of a mix. The, all these things come together. It isn't just American hegemony. It's um, my individual liberty to be a deviant. Mm -hmm. To be deviant. And, yeah. well, beyond that, because that is allowed, you know, to some extent, everywhere, Beyond that, to force it on everyone else's children and for you to bring your kids here and watch, have your kids 
watch my bits dangling in front of them and you will enjoy it and embrace it and help me to push it or you're a racist homophobe right. who kisses Vladimir Putin's ah, backside. Yeah. You're, 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 you're with Putin if you're not with me. Yeah. It's n- all of a piece. Yeah. Yeah, but Neil, look at the Telegraph. Uh, uh, this is from a few days ago. Does that not convince you? Eh? Russian soldier performed brain tests on military student. The officer was seen wiring up the apprentice at this technical forum near Moscow. You scroll down and see the picture. Is that not uh, is that not scary though? And there's a little write up about it below as well. They made the Telegraph made this into an article. It's by our our foreign staff. This would usually be just like one of this, like a a, a slideshow, if you know what I mean. That some websites do, some news websites do of, of events around the world. Just here's a little snapshot of what's been going on around the world. And obviously, they call it a brain test, but I mean they're they're using that term on purpose because obviously it's it, it's an EEG, right? A uh, fairly standard thing. Uh, who knows what it's what, what it's for, but it's you know, <laughs> it just struck me as kind of like an example of how the Western media jumps on anything. Because, like I said, normally this would just be a picture of events around the world. It would it'd be part of a a disparate series of uh, a series of disparate photographs uh, of events around the world. But they make an article out of it, you know. Right. Uh, the officer was seen wiring up the apprentice at the International Military Technical Forum near Moscow. So obviously they're displaying some kind of technology, some kind of maybe yeah. military technology that n- involves, uh, you know, neural networks or something like that, which yeah. is very common these days. But it's like mind evil Russian conduct mind control mind control experiments on their on their soldiers in order to you know better dominate something the we world. would never do. Yeah, exactly. Of course, of it's course. Just, it just makes me barf. Like you yeah. know. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, so we can move on maybe a little bit. Uh, big news this week. Was it this week? It was yeah, about six days ago. Um, very sad news, actually. I'm sure you'll, uh, sure, sure you'll agree. Uh, a lot of thoughts and prayers going out uh, to to this guy. Um, you might know him, Albert Bourla. Oh, Pfizer. He's the CEO of Pfizer, and unfortunately, this week uh, he just had to let he would like to let everybody know that he tested positive for COVID nineteen. But he's thankful to have received four doses of his own gene therapy. Uh, <laughs> sorry, vaccine, uh, and he's feeling well. And he's also <laughs> isolating and has started a course of Paxlovid, which is another awesome. Pfizer drug that is meant to, to deal with COVID-19. So he's had four shots and he's taken some Paxlovid, but he's still feeling a bit sniffly. Um, now, they've all said that. I've seen, I've seen snippets where people talk Borla's exactly with politicians. And it's all thankful or grateful, tested positive, <coughs> Check it out feeling fine, started Paxlovid. It's, it's kind of weird. Uh, it's like a meme. Um, well, it's like literal boss, except it's not. That's the difference. Zoom in a little bit. Oh, you got it. Good job. <laughs> so that's uh, Gavin Newsom uh, said, and the wording is just striking. December. I am. I tested positive for COVID. Currently experiencing whatever. Grateful to have to be vaccinated uh, uh, for treatments like Paxlovid. So he's vaccinated and he's taking Paxlovid. Uh, next, Barack Obama just tested positive for COVID. Feeling fine. Grateful to be vaccinated and boosted. Uh, Laurie Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago. Tested positive for COVID. Uh, feeling fine. Vaccinated. Uh, 
Isolating. She's only isolating. Uh, Elizabeth Warren. Test positive for COVID. Thankfully, I'm only experiencing and grateful for the protection provided by Favla vaccines. And Albert, obviously, we just read. And then some other dude, Mohammed, um, again, obviously, a notable person. Blue check mark, obviously, that means a lot. Um, Important Twitter at Yeah. Privileged to have been vaccinated. Then, Peter, uh, representative, US representative, down the bottom, same thing. Uh, please get boosted and vaccinated. COVID 19. Uh, test positive, John Troy, whoever that is, um, and then obviously Hillary Clinton. So, yeah, I mean it's not unusual. It's not. I'm not saying they're all making it up, whatever. But it's the main the main issue here. The main problem here, obviously, is the fact that they're all reporting apparently without any hint of irony or any awareness that it may be a bit sketchy to even be saying that and saying it publicly that they've had four shots of a vaccine. Um, do, you, do you believe them that they had the shots? Like don't know. Ted Ross, there's a clip going around where Ted Ross admits that he didn't. He chose to, well, just wait it out. Mm. He got he, he's got naturally infected. He got sick early on or something. Yeah. Okay, so say take them at their word. They've had been shot, had the, the vaccine up the wazoo. What does that tell you about them? Like, of course they're invested in... Yeah, upholding the narrative about it because if the other side isn't even remotely right then their health is seriously in trouble or potentially depending on their age and their conditions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so yeah for him to that guy like the actual CEO of the company and saying of course his narrative and the, all their narrative is that well it would be much worse it's the narrative that's been going around for a long time if I hadn't had the vaccine it would be much worse which is obviously false it's absolutely false it's proof it's it's provably false at this point that first of all the strain of covid going around is very no different than a a mild flu or a cold so there's no danger from it except there's evidence that people have taken the vaccine are more likely have had especially multiple doses of the vaccine are more likely to have some kind of a maybe a bit more significant or even get to the point where you have to admit that you've tested positive because you have some kind of sniffles because you've had the vaccine because the vaccine that p- these people have taken directs their immune system towards a previous variant and the v- unlike the variant they have now so they're less protected against the admittedly minim- minimally uh, uh, a variant with uh, minimal risk in the sense that it, it, it's like a, like a cold but so that uh, that narrative that it would have been much worse that they that they were harping on with uh, harping on about over over the past couple of years may have been true for certain groups of people at that time, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not anymore. Years later it's not that. anymore, but they still have no shame in coming out with this bullshit, you know what I mean? And which is, th- to say that they're thankful that they have received four doses of the Pfizer vaccine implies that they're saying, that they're, what they're implying is that it's lucky I had the vaccine because otherwise I might be in hospital gasping for air right now, right? No, that's patent bullshit. You would not be, given the nature that everybody accepts, that is officially recognised, the nature of the variant of COVID that's going around now, which is like B or A, whatever, a, a, a much reduced in, in severity mm-hmm. variant. So what are they talking about? These are scientists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, it's, it's, I suppose it's simple. It's just virtue signalling. Not only virtual, from him, it's like profit, our, our profit, team, you know. Generation for Berlin, yeah, and Berlin. He's trying to. He's trying to market. Absolutely. He's trying to market Paxlovid. Is what he's doing. Fucking scumbag. Anyway, um, this came out this week as well. Lockdown effects feared to be killing more people than COVID. Oh yeah. Um, 
Unexplained excess deaths outstripped those from the virus. Asthmatics is in the UK. Call figures terrifying. Yeah, well, so what are what's these causing figures? that? Because I've heard thousand people a week in the UK excess in the UK. deaths above above what now? Above, above the mean, the average five year average. Does that include? Yeah, five years. It actually, it's actually much the, worse the, because the, the average has gone up because of the spike in deaths as a result of, well, COVID slash lockdowns or whatever, but the spike in deaths over the past two years was in, obviously is included. So basically in any five-year average, you might have like an odd spike here or there, but generally speaking, it's, it's relatively uh, similar year on year. So you have a, a good kind of normal average of five years, but over the past two years, the five-year average going back from today includes, uh, you know, 2020 and 2021, when you had a spike in, in death. So the average is actually higher than it really should be. So it's, a, it's, it's not exactly, you really should in a certain sense. If you want to know, uh, if you want to see what the actual excess deaths are over a five-year average, you should take out the last two years. You should take out 20, 2020 and 2021 and do, do you know what I mean? Yes, to remove, yeah. Or you should reduce the numbers, take those numbers out. You should adjust the, the numbers so that you don't include that spike because that increases the, the average up too right. high but even so even, even with, with that with they that. are doing that it's a thousand people per week so that's you know if it continues all year 50,000 people extra per year who are dying from or dying unusually and that's why their you know figures are terrifying according to them because they have no idea what is causing this of course they, they're not doing any in-depth research into what the actual causes of these excess deaths are they're just at this point reporting that they're noting from the you know office of national statistics they're seeing a spike week on week of about a thousand people in the UK above an average, more than expected, and they're not looking at what the causes are. The really terrifying thing about this is that that can be on the front page of the Telegraph. Nobody cares. And life just goes on. There's no tribunals, there's no inquiries, no one's going to jail, much less being hanged nope. for what they did. They can actually report, quote unquote, the terrifying truth, and meh. It's it's freaky. It's like it shows you how much society has changed, um, particularly by since twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. That, like, like they said about Trump, they, they preempted it, didn't they? Oh, because of Trump's arrival and his waywardness with looseness with facts, we live in a post truth world. Mm-hmm. We do now, motherfuckers, and it's because of that whole episode, mm-hmm. your pandemic. Yeah, if you, this is from June, actually, but if you just look at it here, it's uh, on the same kind of point. And it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting analysis of the way the media reports certain things. Uh, this is from late June. So it's uh, from Ireland. Chief Medical Officer Holohan backs a plan to reduce COVID testing and tracing. Meh, good. I'm sick of that COVID testing and tracing. That's not actually the really important point in the article. If you just scroll down, that's, here's what should be the actual um, headline of that article. Uh, if you just go down to um, below the video, is there a video? Uh, uh, just, okay, no, up a little bit. Uh, just, uh, let me see, where is it? Uh, do, 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 yeah, uh, is this about the distinction? Weekly, those? It, it begins his weekly, his weekly report. Um, maybe it's up a little bit. Yeah, it's up a little bit probably. His weekly report... So to remind people that this Holohan guy was like yeah. the COVID czar for Ireland. Right. He was yeah. Ireland's Fauci. Pushing it on everybody. Yeah. Pushing everything on everybody. So um, his weekly report, this is what the article, the only really publicly 
useful for the public information in the article, is his weekly report compiled last Friday said of those in hospital of all ages directly due to COVID at that point, 46% had received a booster vaccination, 19% had received primary vaccination, 35% had not completed their primary course, i.e. they only had one vaccination. So basically what he was saying there, and obviously they don't interpret that, but and because there's no mention of unvaccinated people here at all. Mm. It's in referring to the number of people of all ages in hospital directly due to COVID were all vaccinated one way or another. All. But then Ireland had a vaccination rate that was like insane. It was ninety plus percent, wasn't it? But like, like, like a lot of like other countries. Western countries. Uh, and just carrying on on that same point, um, did you want to say something? About are you are you moving on to something else? No. I have something on Ireland as yeah. well. Hang on, I'll just okay. I'll just throw this up. Uh, this so that was from June twenty second. This one is um, this is just a screenshot of the Irish Times because. I don't think it may not have appeared online. Um, I have it. Irish you have Times. it online. Okay, so it's from August seventeenth, so five days ago. That article highlighted <laughs> the real news. The right. Irish Times one didn't, though. Right. So COVID reported as a single cause of one hundred and eighty-three deaths. What they mean by that is that almost all of those who died from COVID nineteen had other medical conditions on their death certificates, according to a new analysis by the Central Statistics Office. COVID-19 was reported as a single cause of 183 deaths during the pandemic, whereas 5,201, i.e. all of the other deaths, percent, were certified as having had COVID, or were, that were certified as, ha- as having had COVID, had at least one other medical condition. And by medical condition, they seem, mean they mean severe underlying uh, condition or comorbidity. And by at least, they mean most of them had more than one. Um, so again, this is new, and this is these are things that we were saying at the time mm-hmm. two years ago, and getting banned for, and getting banned for saying it. And now a new study says it, and it's shocking the number of things that we were able to say, we and others were able to say, and got banned for, and told that we were a bunch of crazy anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorists. When now the the official government statistics offices and official government health ministries are saying precisely those things, they're validating what we were saying two or three years uh, two years ago. Um, the other thing is... So the black death, in quotes, of our time killed 183 people in Ireland, necessitating the world's longest lockdown in that country. Right. And in, in crazy rules where you weren't allowed to like go within three kilometers of your home or anything for longer periods than that. Uh, yeah, uh, on that... So, and and just, to, just to make the point, this was something that... And it wasn't just us, obviously. There were some official sources coming out with... Um, similar data at the time and this is something I posted when it was an actual you know an, a, a fresh news report from the Italian mainstream newspaper Il Tempo uh, in is there a date on it there is a date on it isn't there um, uh, 21st of October 2021 uh, no yeah is that the date yeah 21 October okay. 21 so yeah so this is about a year ago um, posted at the time, the title basically says, died of everything, not of COVID. And the point is that about 66% of, at that point, 60%, 60% of the cases of COVID cases, COVID deaths, allegedly COVID deaths in Italy, 66%. 
had been included by the um, a, a health institute, basically a government, more or less government-run health institute in Italy, said the 66 percent of of the cases of death by COVID were not actually killed by COVID. There were people with two, three, and four serious comorbidities and over the year over the age of eighty years old. And this this article and, and reporting in this article was roundly condemned at the time. Shut up, you evil people are dying. Just shut up, whatever. No, obviously no counter to it, but just <clears throat> shut up. Uh, but that basically is what the Irish Times is saying there. Um, and the, the same is true. You'll find the same is true in pretty much every other country, uh, and at least in the Western world. Um, yeah. Here's the thing, though. Should... One more thing. We're hand-wringing about it, right? The British government themselves said at the time that we know our lockdown is going to kill a mm. quarter million people. Look at this one. This is from uh, <clears throat> Telegraph in 2020. After the first lockdown, the British government con- commissioned a study to estimate how many people they were going to kill mm. just at the first lockdown. Mm-hmm. Lockdown may cost 200,000 lives, government report shows. More than two, more than two. They actually revised it. I'm afraid I couldn't find it in time for the show. They revised the study later up to half a million. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, July 2020, they're saying, we've done a reasonable estimate of how much our efforts to save grannies from the virus is going to cost us in the years ahead. It's about half a million people. And they could do it because of the hysteria at the time and the crazy models that were saying, ah, but a half a million people over here, according to Ferguson, will die from COVID. Mm-hmm. The real result in the UK, I think uh, John, what's his name, said really the distinction from with COVID, didn't he cite ONS statistics recently to say it's more like 17,000 people. Yeah, I mean, the official numbers were 100,000, about 100,000. Okay, 140 or something. Yeah, yeah. give or take. Um, but, uh, but, and, they, and they, the vast majority of those were, like I said, like as in the case in Italy and as, as the case in, in, in Ireland, the demographic were uh, older people with serious comorbidities, the vast majority of those people who died. So who are the, but the lockdown costs, 200,000 or maybe up to 500,000, what, what, uh, <clears throat> what demographic is that? If you're, if you're, you know, if you're equating like with like in a certain sense, that mm-hmm. it's, you know, one way or another, if we don't do it, these people are going to die. Well, clearly, uh, the people, like we mentioned at the time, government statistics offices and statisticians have this term, especially on, mort- on for mortality in any given country, in the English-speaking world, have this term called dry tinder, which is they call large groups of people, elderly people who are ill and have a short lifespan, expected short lifespan, they call them dry tinder, which, which is a very impersonal way of referring to them. And it means that, uh, that in any given uh, flu season, in winter season, when you have a spike in deaths, particularly obviously among this demographic of elderly people with, who are in frail health and don't have long to live, that if uh, the circulation of viruses is quite strong, a lot of those people will die. If it's not strong, a lot of them won't die. They'll carry on for another year. But... And when, when that happens, when there's not a wide circulation or strong circulation of seasonal viruses in wintertime and you don't have a significant or expected number of deaths among elderly, frail people, uh, the, the official way they refer to them is dry tinder, which means that they're going to be dead in six months. 
or whenever the next uh, season comes around of, of some kind of viral infection, they're gone anyway. These people literally don't have long to live. They have, and, and it's, it's true. I mean, it's, it might seem a bit <coughs> cruel or heartless, or whatever, but that's the way they talk about it. Mm-hmm. They talk about the death of, 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 of deaths among the population in very impersonal terms, and they, and they approach it in a very impersonal way. Unlike what you might have thought uh, uh, when living through the pandemic when it was everybody's in this together and let's all save each other and we all love each other and the government loves you. No, they don't. They talk about you like numbers and they use uh, ref- they refer to you as a piece of wood. To your granny as a piece of wood. Every year for, for decades that's the way they've referred mm-hmm. to you and, and, and your granny. But what changed was they gave themselves <clears throat> the right to choose to sacrifice this group of people over here ostensibly to save this group of people over here. The numbers yeah, the don't, even, of, don't even... The but numbers, like I just said, the people that they were trying to save were people who had very yeah. short life... The vast majority yeah. of them were people who had very short life expectancy anyway, were going to die. They were that dry tinder, yeah. and they were not going to live very long anyway. And in order to try and save those people, which they didn't save, because you can't stop them, and they even admitted that, that it's not about the whole flatten the curve thing, was not to reduce the number of deaths from this particular virus but to spread it out over time so you don't overwhelm the health service so it was never about saving lives but in doing that and locking down to flatten the curve they created a situation where they killed and will kill over the next while more than twice as many people that died and would have died normally from the virus Mm. that they always accept and and a lot of those 200,000 let's say at least and this is just the UK are people who did not who were not at risk. People with, are at risk or with a short life expectancy. There are people who were going to and have, um, uh, you know, had or it's been discovered that they had, they had starting to develop cancer or some kind of heart disease. And those are very treatable conditions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A, guy who's, a guy at 50 years old who goes for a heart scan and they find that uh, his, uh, one of his arteries is 80% or 90% blocked, that's very treatable with stents and all sorts of other, other treatments, right? And that guy can live the rest of his normal lifespan of another 30 years. Someone who's 80 years old with, with uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or is, has chronic diabetes or has liver failure and is over 80 years old, they don't have 30 years to live no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. They don't even have a year probably to live no, no matter what you do. And no one ever tried to stop them from dying. But, they, but over the past two years, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. Primarily, it was to stop those people from dying, people who are going to die anyway. And, and in order to achieve that ridiculous, stupid, illogical idea, they, like you just said, decided that they knowingly sacrificed the lives of people much younger than, younger than those elderly demographic yeah. who didn't have to die. Because they, they shut everything down. No access to health service, no cancer screenings, no heart screenings, nothing. Yeah. And that's the mark of a, as many commented, that's the mark of a... a it's the mark of a goddamn beast, so- man. Of a very messed up society that would sacrifice <clears throat> its young to prolong the life Absolutely. of, of And that's just mentioning older. those medical, the medical situation. You're not talking about all, all of the, the other effects of lockdown. No, the deaths of despair, poverty. It, probably a lot of them that were hit were working class or dependents, you know. Deaths of despair, suicide from lack of contact, etc. Do you remember the um, the saving saving a man from the oncoming train exercise? Mm. You know where you're on a bridge and you can see there's two train tracks the and you have the choice, dilemma. the trolley dilemma, right? I always hated it. I always hated it because it was like that's not realistic because it's a psychopathic premise. In the real world, you never know 
for certain that if you do or don't do one thing here, you'll definitely cause equivalent harm over there. You see what I mean? Mm. You just never know. At the moment, you might have a choice and you've got to make one. But, 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 but you never mo- actually... These governments... But models, Neil. Models, models exactly. These models governments decided that they had godlike omnipotence and they could know for certain and make those kinds of choices. Yeah. That was new. Yeah. And we, people, we... If, if there is a collective sin here, we gave them that. They now have that hanging over us from here on out, you know. They get none from and me. They, there, were early, there were earlier versions of it. You know, after 9-11... Um, it really bothered me when it came out. And then I started to think about it. Like, what the hell is this? This utter mania for this new show. Do you remember 24 mm. or 24 hours, whatever it was called? Right after 9-11. 24, yeah. 24. It's Kiefer Sutherland. And he's an FBI or some kind of Homeland Security. And to stop the bomb, we have to, we have to torture this guy. And, yeah. the, and they torture themselves. Of, oh, what should we do it? Is it the right thing to do? But all these people will die for sure yeah. if we don't. Yeah. I was like, you never know that. That's horseshit. Give me an example in history when that's actually borne out. But they were hammering people with this. Oh, the whole torture thing, getting people to accept torture. To accept torture. And one, it, these, when, all when torture, these things add up. When torture has been proven to be, to be basically useless as an as a intelligence gathering tool. Yeah, which they later admitted, yeah. Just on the, on, in the, from the, from the, in keeping with things that we talked about, from the desk of the We Told You So, or from the We Told You So desk, just throw that one up I sent you, Scotty, just before Neil there. Um, remember talking about this? This is from two days ago. Insufficient vitamin D linked to fourfold increase in risk of death among COVID-19 patients. Irish researchers find unvaccinated patients with low vitamin D levels are more likely to suffer severe disease and death. Well, <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> I never heard that one before. Thank God for science. That's because news. I've only been saying that from probably uh, April. It was known widely, if you had any sense, from April 2020. Immediately news. <clears throat> Let's write it up. That Not only one, that, but it was known before that for other viruses. That one, that one actually hit us directly because the one of our local doctors actually prescribed vitamin D three mm-hmm. in like large doses for all kinds of stuff, and it was very, very helpful for many, many patients. And then, every winter, yeah. And then we were informed that actually no, like across the board. Uh, like somehow the French medical system said, no, 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 because no, people are taking too much of it to protect themselves right. from COVID. So no more high dose D, D3. Right, right. You might die and it became difficult to buy it at like Amazon and everything all to protect everyone. And then here's a study going, oh, yeah, yeah. that was wrong. Oh, yeah. And, and we're scientists, so we can tell you for sure this is. And, but so those people who were saying it two years ago, uh, I don't know how they knew that. Uh, they were just guessing. It was just lucky guess, I suppose, you know. But definitely you shouldn't listen to those people because you should always wait until after you're dead uh, so that the science can tell you what would have saved you from dying. But never listen to any anecdotal evidence or even if it's science-based. If it's not official science-based, then don't listen to it. Don't ever take anything that might solve your, your illness or, or help to prevent you from becoming ill. And just, so, you know, just go ahead and die because you feel much better from from wherever you are after you're dead, knowing that you didn't rely on any well, non-official yeah. sources. Yeah. And you waited, even if it was till after you're dead, you waited 
for the confirmation that well, you could have taken something to stop you from well, dying. Th- there's a religious element. Is at le- they will say at least he died not in living in sin. But right. if he had in, transgressed in us, transgressed and the survived science. longer and died a different death, then the God of science wouldn't have let you into the, the, the science heaven. Something like that. Yeah. They can't you, square you it off. You would have been sent to atheism. You is, you know, sent, insane at its core. But. You would have been sent to conspiracy theory hell. Uh, so you saved your soul, basically. Yeah, um, which doesn't exist. But yeah, according whatever. to atheists, yeah. <laughs> um, Liz Cheney My got geez. obliterated in Wyoming. Yeah. The largest surprise, loss surprise. by an incumbent Mwah. in this century. I, you know what it means? It means that come the new election, the new cycle of Congress in January, no Cheney, Bush, Clinton, or McCain family member will hold office in the U.S. for the first time in 55 years. Cool. Cheney, Bush, or? Cheney, Bush, Clinton, or McCain. Wow. That's awesome. That's a cleansing. If only. And in her farewell address, she compared herself to Abraham Lincoln and her election campaign to the Battle of Gettysburg, mm. proclaiming that the fight has just begun. She's as fucking nuts as her father. I um, could be wrong, but is she suggesting that now that I've lost electorally, I'll start a civil war? Or something like that. Who knows? Maybe she knows that there's the daddy, daddy is hooks in, hook in with the, hooks in with the deep state and, and they are, they're really the ones who run the country. So it's all good. Don't worry. The sure. CIA has, the intelligence services have six waves from Sunday, Neil, right. from getting back at you, from, from, from destroying anybody in the country who doesn't follow the dictates of the intel community. Rather than accepting her defeat graciously, she also said, I think it also tells you that large portions of our party are very, very including the leadership of the party. So she's talking about ordinary Republicans, Republicans are deplorable, are very sick. Yeah, yeah. And Unlike that, her father, who, well, you know, for this, this is where it gets it's creepy that these people that was, really do see themselves as the healthy ones and yeah. the others as needing to be fixed. Yeah. The, the best thing I got out of our, wasn't the best thing, but the most interesting thing was watching, seeing, seeing that uh, Dick Cheney, old Blackheart himself, was actually still alive and still upright, you know, because he was in some of the interviews with her and stuff. He's standing there beside her as if props, you know, yeah, we get my daddy in here, he'll help. He'll, he'll, he'll lend some kind of moral support or something or, you know, so there was her, Dick Cheney and his old friend Satan standing right beside her uh, and they were all there to, to kind of like say, listen, vote for Liz, you know, um, and, it and then commis- commiserate with her, you know, huh? and it didn't work, yeah. Uh, that guy is the epitome of, he's probably the closest thing publicly that I know of embodied in a person to, to evil, to pure evil that I've ever come across is Dick Cheney. Right. Everything about him, he is a purely evil person. Um, so yeah, just sticking with the, oops, <coughs> what did I just delete? Um, well, that was the Guardian one. Did you know, here's an interesting thing from way back, from the Wayback Machine, it's not that far back, is it? Well, it is actually, it's uh, 13 years ago. Um, just uh, just something to keep in mind. Um, keep in mind in terms of when you're looking at what's going on in the world today and talks about inflation and the economy uh, and uh, Putin's gas uh, hikes, gas price hikes, gas price hikes. Um, from 2009, planned recession could avoid catastrophic climate change. In 2009... Britain will have to stop building airports, switch to electric cars, and shut down coal-fired power stations as part of a planned recession to avoid dangerous climate change. So, this isn't a new idea, obviously. 
No. Of course, it's interesting that it's all the recession right now is Putin's gas hike, Putin's gas manipulation, Putin's fossil fuel war or something, whatever, with the West. Uh, that's but, the reason. But yeah. obviously these people have... It's, it's been a goal of there are certain people, in the, at least in the UK government, and we can extend that out to the Western governments in general, it has been part of at least an, a, a, a working idea to that the global economy, or the Western economy at least, which by definition would be the global economy, has to go into recession in order to stop dangerous climate change. Yeah, It just so happens that now there's certain factors coming, converging, and uh, in, 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 in all of those factors, you can see the kind of hand of Western powers actually making it happen, like Putin's gas hike. Uh, and it's in the context of more than 10 years ago, same types of people, think tanky people, government uh, ministers, etc., talking about a planned, deliberately putting the country into a recession which obviously would include inflation, um, in order to yeah. bring on an ice age. Um, yeah. By 2020, so they're a little behind schedule. Mm-hmm. Again, one wonders if Trump messed up the timeline there. Yeah. Um, 2020, of course, was the year also of the Pentagon report in 2004. 2004. Um, well, what did happen in 2020? instead and you wonder if the, the two were done if that was done with this in mind as well the lockdowns the pandemic right yeah that um, certainly didn't didn't help the the economy um just taking with covid for a minute a uh, recent relatively new uh, paper study published from vietnam uh, 300 participants between, um, I think they were between 13 and 18. Wasn't it Thailand? Sorry, Thailand. 13 and 18 years old. Um, looking at the effects of the Pfizer vaccine on teenagers, 13 to 18 years old, 300 of them. Most of them boys, but boys and girls. Um, almost 30% showed signs of some uh, cardiovascular effects, obviously negative cardiovascular effects, ranging from uh, tachycardia, palpitation, and myo myo myopericarditis. No, sorry, myopericarditis. Myopericarditis. Sorry. Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Some kind of an effect yeah. is broken down to tachycardia, seven point six four percent; shortness of breath, six point six four percent; palpitation, four point three two percent; chest pain, four point three two percent; hypertension, three point nine nine percent. There were abnormal ECG findings in seventeen eighteen percent, basically. So abnormal ECG findings in eighteen percent of this cohort of three hundred uh, participants in the study uh, had abnormal ECG findings and. But more, more focusing a bit more, I suppose the, there's a 2.3 percent of the participants, and this is really getting to the you know m- more hardcore evidence of like because those maybe were transient, all those others were tachycardia yeah. transient, but evidence of actual damage uh, is in elevated biomarkers for ho- like for heart damage, so so elevated troponin and other uh, biomarkers that show that these are these are 
kind of lasting damage chemicals to the heart. That, that are lasting damage. That was two point three percent. Of so three hundred, of three hundred, yeah. Of course, it's a relatively small sample, but basically, but it's the only that one that's done. All teenagers in Thailand, you're yeah, but not only that, but it's the only it's the only study that's been done. You can say there's a small study, but why aren't Western? Why, why isn't the CDC doing doing studies like this? Why why isn't the uh, the, the the NHS in the UK doing it? Why why aren't why isn't France? Why aren't all these countries doing these studies to see what effects? Which by now there's m- more than enough evidence to warrant studies into the possible effects. There's more than, more than enough evidence to suggest that there are likely possible you know, the, the danger, let's say, or the, the potential for adverse effects from these vaccines, especially the Pfizer and Moderna ones, uh, is is real. So we want to know just how real it is. So let's do studies. Let's do one with three thousand people, or thirty thousand people, or three hundred thousand people. Let's study it. Let's see, so we can inform people. Because two point three percent, if you use that just on that study of three hundred people in in Thailand, uh, that's way above acceptable limits. Absolutely, and for they know for, it. for a vaccine, they know the, you it. immediately have to recall it. That's you immediately have to say never again. Do not do this until we just, do proper studies. You just answered the question. Take Paxlovid. Bugs. Do you want some bugs? No. Look at this one. Cows, cold cows to save planet. We've seen this before, but what's interesting is that they're actually going to implement this um, now. This is from the UK. What's interesting as well, what distinguishes this from other, we, we've talked on uh, earlier shows about in New Zealand, they want to call cows because they're farting too much methane, mm. right? Or burping it, whatever. In Holland right now, there's major farmer protests because we want to reduce nitrogen, uh, specifically usage by 30%. Therefore, sorry, we have to close by 30% of farms. In the UK, they have a different story, like a different, slightly different reason, but the same end goal in mind. Here it is, The Guardian this week. England must reduce, must reduce meat intake to avoid climate breakdown, says Food SAR. A food czar. Okay, right. Food czar. Um, like, and they know, they know move is politically toxic, but only a way to achieve sustainable, uh, sustainable land use. So scroll down. They, what's their reasoning here on this one? <clears throat> the only way to have sustainable land use in this country and avoid ecological breakdown. You notice that's different. What does ecological breakdown mean? The, the, the English, you see, they, they began their interest uh, in global warming, which became climate change, from a, a different route. Their thing was all about conservation. Conserve as much of what we have. You know, that was um, the mm. guy who does, you know, the the Blue Planet shows. Mm. That was his host. David Attenborough. David Attenborough. The founding of the WEF, not WF, the um, <clears throat> Worldwide Fund for Nature, the Prince Charles groups that he's all... They're all about conservation of nature. Who doesn't want to conserve as much of nature, as beautiful nature as possible. So that it began with a very plausible, attractive, um, reality-based green movement in the United Kingdom. So that's why they're speaking to their audience in these terms. Ecological, Ecological breakdown is like, yeah, we don't want to lose what we have, you know? Yeah. So Keep The so Garden of England, basically. Therefore, we'll vastly reduce consumption of meat and dairy. Well, what's that got to do with it? Well, in this narrativization of it, he says... It is an incredibly inefficient use of land to grow crops, feed them to a ruminant or pig or chicken, 
which then over its life cycle converts into a very small amount of protein for us to eat. Currently, 85% of agricultural land in England is used for pasture for grazing animals to grow food, which is then fed to livestock. So, ah, uh, to conclude, he says, we must reduce our... Oh, others want to go further. So he wants a 30% meat reduction. That's all. Mm. <laughs> Greenpeace wants me to go further. No, we must reduce meat intake by 70%. So... So it is what, so it's, it's feeding, growing, 30%, growing, growing, same figure as Holland. But the reason for that is growing crops uh, has to, if, if to, growing crops to feed cows is incredibly inefficient because who needs cows? Who needs meat? We don't need meat. We yeah. don't need to be eating meat. We've got, and, we've got And we can use that yeah. land and turn it back into, to, you know, uh, the Garden of England, basically, if we can go for walks. Right. While you eat your That's what's being dangled. While there. you eat your vegetarian in diet. In reality, it'll be more like Bill Gates types will swoop in and buy up all the land. Mm. In Holland's case, allegedly, it's actually to do a massive house building scheme mm. to house all the new migrants they've had mm. in recent years. Well, but. Well, They're talking out of both sides of their mouths, but they all converge on the same thing they're hammering on, which is. They're on the cusp of, I don't know how serious they are, what they would have, steps they would actually take. In Holland, it looks like they're on the knife edge, where they're actually trying to implement a third reduction of meat in the food supply. Yeah. So stop, get rid of cows, pigs, basically cattle, Hmm. um, for human consumption, and turn the land that you use, that you grow crops on to feed them, because you don't need to feed them anymore, turn that land into... Whatever. In England, it's to have a nice walk while you're uh, in, in, in the countryside over this previously, previously you know, previous uh, cultivated land uh, while you're eating your cricket uncle, uncle, snacks. Uncle Klaus's honey roasted crickets. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Because that is a thing, right? They're, I mean, I don't... Peep, <laughs> peep, there's been things that have come along over the past number of years where people suggested that, look, this is what they're doing. And people go, don't be silly, that's like some, mm-hmm. some dystopian future movie. It's, you've watched too many movies, forget about it, you know. And cricket seems to be part of that. Like people today are saying uh, they're seeing the, the push for eating insects, basically, to r- replace cows, pigs, etc. Uh, and they've got celebrities eating bugs. You yeah, know, and, and people are saying that'll never take on, take, that'll, never, that'll never happen. But I mean, at this point, I can't say that anymore. Well, you know have you I mean? seen the photos people are going into stores and they're showing the ingredients on some products and it says specifically X percent cricket protein. Yeah, already they're mixing it in. They're mixing basically. it in. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, GMO spooked us, right? Yeah. And it spooked people and legislatures but it just, regulated or banned it. Didn't matter. Crept in anyway. Just segued in. All well, over. On that point, if that were to happen, just as a, an advice, just throw those... Um, links up there Scotty just in case people ever find themselves in the near future in a situation where when they go to buy themselves some meat or something they find the only option is some kind of insect protein or insects themselves that you're that you that you have to you know eat instead of animal protein just these are things that you probably want to keep in in mind because and this is again this is about the science right uh, these are just a few of multiple multiple studies that have already been done on Insects. The first title of this one, a, parasi- a Parasitological Evaluation of Edible Insects and Their Role in the Transmission of Parasitic Diseases to Humans and Animals. Next Great. one. Great. 
Breads made of powdered crickets may be loaded with bacterial spores. Mm. Mm. Extra bacterial spores. And the next one. Virus diversity in loads in crickets reared for feed. Implications for husbandry. Uh, basically, insects generally, it goes blah, blah, blah. But it's basically saying they're toxic. Um, and there was a fourth one. In vivo toxic his, toxicity study of freeze-dried skimmed powder of Zophobus <laughs> atratus larvae, which is insects. Um, basically, that's just four, and there's many. You can look, look, at them, look them up yourself, you know, and they're all relatively recent because I think the study has been provoked, which, you know, is, gives some kudos to science in the sense that, at least in some spheres uh, or some, some areas of science, they're still doing... They're still responding appropriately. Due diligence. Yeah, yeah. To, 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 to developments or new ideas in society. It's like, okay, before you, just, before you eat those bugs, let's do some studies on them and see if they're actually going to kill you or give you cancer or something. Um, yeah. yeah but, but it doesn't matter because the, but agenda, it's happen anyway. the, agenda, the agenda is just hammering well, that, people every freaking day. That sense will be overwritten and uh, be ignored, pushed aside. There'll be new studies that'll come out and say, no, but you see, the way we cook them, and especially when we drizzle them with uh, honey mustard sauce, right. that's, that kills the bacteria. The honey mustard kills the bacteria, kills the parasites. Uh, so they're fine. Go ahead and eat them. Yeah, long term studies, you can, you all be the, the study, basically. <laughs> Yeah. We'll check back in in 10 years and see what's going on. Um, I think at this point we need to really just, other than wrap up the show, we need to, you know, kind of get a bit of a, a shower in a certain sense from all the bullshit and nonsense that we're subjected to. We need to go back to kind of an older time, you know. Back tra- to tradition. Traditional cultural pursuits and interests and stuff, you know. Like, for example, uh, ballet. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be really? It would be kind of enriching and uplifting, uplifting, and, and make you forget all the craziness for a while. Well, on that point, there's uh, <laughs> there's a new type of ballet you can go and see. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, um, obviously not Russian. Yeah, not, it's not that's, Russian that's ballet. Banned. It's black ballet. Black ballet. Yes. Do you have it there, Scotty? Oh, nice. So the title is Blacks Create a Truly Inclusive Ballet Without White Supremacist Notions oh. of Graceful Flowing Movements. I was close. I said no Russians. Balance that's and that's Symmetry. Right. So that, that, whole, that whole thing of graceful flowing movements, balance and symmetry, and elaborate sets and costumes, that's super white supremacist. Yeah, yeah, yeah it did. It did smack up. So we need a more soulful, jumpy, bouncy African ballet. Oh, more earthy. So we can have a look at it here and see how, how it strikes you. There's no. So these ladies are challenging the stereotype of a ballerina. What about that? Wait, I, I bet it involves twerking. <laughs> Check out that ballet. I'm so glad to see the whole graceful flowing movements removed and it's more jumpy, bouncy, kind of twerky. Because uh, I just feel so less supremacist. She looks a bit white, that one. Oh, I don't know. So well, you know, yeah. not in a nightclub. That, that would definitely like no, no, this is set a ballet. the place of fire. Like no, this is a ballet. The ballet, yeah. That's that's, that's the new ballet, Neil. Okay. And you better like it, or you won't be getting your bugs. <laughs> you won't be denied your bugs. Are ration. you trying to tell me that you? I mean, you need to really think about it. You know, do I? You're, you're, well, your unconscious racism and oh, white supremacy. Back I off. mean, the graceful flowing movements and balance and symmetry. I mean, you have to understand; those are all. 
hallmarks of white supremacy. Mm. Everybody, I mean, I didn't realize it, but when I thought about it, it just hit me like a uh, like a lightning bolt. Really, uh, yeah, yeah, graceful, flowing movements, balance, and symmetry. They're so white supremacy. <laughs> It's just so obvious to me now. I mean, I don't know why it wasn't obvious to me before, but it just is so obvious now. Well, good luck to you. Yeah, uh, I'll be going to my first black ballet in the near future. I can tell you, it's coming to town, is it? Yeah, and I'll be, I'll be allying my way, and tr- all tr- the way through. Yeah. All right. Good I'll luck. I'll, <laughs> I'll come out. I'll come out. I'll come out with. <clears throat> So much virtue, virtue from the signaling that uh, I won't know what to do with myself. Make sure you stand in the theatre, though, and give up your place to uh, yeah. a minority. I think I'll give the ticket outside to a minority. <laughs> I'll find an, an immigrant or something and give them the ticket and then just not go. And that will be really heavy. Anyway, uh, yeah. So I think that's pretty much... Uh, oh, there's one, <laughs> one other thing. Maybe... Cassandra says the poll, they'll bring it in. The what? The pole, yeah, yeah. Where's the pole? Um, this for me sums up events of late, at least in that area that we we're just talking about in terms of uh, health and uh, you know excess deaths and, and and people's health going down the tubes and it being horrifying for for some uh, oh, medical I saw medical that people. Too. <laughs> this is in UK, from the UK. A paramedic has a heart attack while treating a patient for a heart attack. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's just one incident. We're not saying it means anything, but put it in context. Can you imagine if he had not been vaccinated, though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He'd be dead and the patient would be dead. Yeah, yeah, everybody would be dead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, it's almost like if, you know, in a nutshell, you know, 2022 so far. That's it right there. <laughs> That's a meme for 2022. Um, what else do I have? Oh, yeah, well, and I suppose you better just let you know. That's the last thing. I'll just let you know. It's a warning. It's, it's a heads-up for the future. Apart from the bugs, it's a heads-up for this winter. Uh, um, you, need to pre- you need to prepare yourself <clears throat> for a twindemic. The twindemic, Neil. Twin Both flu and COVID waves is going to hit this winter. Be afraid, be very afraid. So get both shots, obviously. No, just swallow a whole bottle, a whole bottle of Paxlovid uh-huh. that you can get from Albert Bourla. Oh no, they're going to roll out the flu and vaccine booster vaccines to the flu and COVID nineteen booster vaccines together. Yes. So they'll probably make it. If you want to get the flu shot, you have to take the COVID nineteen booster and a whole and bottle versa. of Paxlovid. Yeah. I don't know. I can do better than whoever wrote that. Elish, Elish, Elisha Reagan, you suck. I can do a tridemic. Of both flu and COVID and monkeypox this winter. Yeah. 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 Can you write that? No? Twindemic shite. <laughs> it's not alarmist enough. No, bring them all out. A tridemic. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, that's the state of the world uh, as we see it from where we sit, I suppose. And it's, uh, it's, looking, it's, stu- it's looking stupid. It's clown shoes. Yeah. Be afraid. But remember to do <laughs> it for the... For the, for the children. children. For the children. For the children. For the children. For the, children. For the, for the children. monkeys. Thanks, Nancy. Okay. Remember children. that we're doing all this for the children. So, um, yeah. 
Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for commenting. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, um, smash all like buttons if you haven't done so, and uh, or all the like buttons, whatever, all the buttons. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. So have a good one. Till then. See ya. See you next week. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.